Did you name your file Repressi Stady Apparati? <laughs> did I? What did I name it? <laughs> Almost. JPZ Repressi State Closer. Yeah, that's it. That's what I named my audio from the last bonus episode. <laughs> I think the file was called Imperialism Closer because I was just like trying to come up with a file name real quick for my Ableton session. And then when I bounced it, I was like, no, it's the repressive state apparatus. It's not imperialism. <laughs> well, you know, it's all in there. Yeah, they're all intertwined. <laughs> but like, you know, I wanted to be more specific. And I also wanted to bring a level of humor to, I mean, like, I don't know, as long as we're just talking about this crap, like, I've always ha- gotten a kick out of naming uh, files stupid shit. Like, I, nice. I have, like, a little EP that I've been working on just on and off ever since I got back into big beat music, what, like, three weeks ago. And uh, all, all I would say, I thought, I thought it was when you got back into it six months ago or 12 months ago. <laughs> or 12 months or two years ago. Or, I keep getting into different kinds of big beat music, though. Like, that was when I was listening to, like, the prodigy now i'm listening to like fat boy slim it's a different big beat you know what i mean like it's not you know six months ago that was chemical different strain this one's this is like the heady kind yeah this is the kush that was the ak-47 i don't even know the difference between strains so i can't make a proper strain joke this is that couch lock shit this that's what i would just tell everybody i'd be the worst bud tender uh when i was applying for jobs there were a bunch of bud tender jobs and i was like should i do this and then i thought about it and i was like "Hmm, it seems like weed companies are uniquely terrible to work for so i'm gonna not just like hanging up a sign on the wall that says it gets you high and then every time somebody asks you about it just like tap the sign sign. don't make me tap the sign yeah Speaking of tapping the sign, welcome That's everybody right. to an episode of Work Stoppage, your favorite labor <laughs> podcast, we hope. And we're here to constantly tap the sign about uh, labor peace is not in our interest. That's is that right. what's written That's on right. our sign? I That's think so. Right. And uh, we're entirely listener supported. So if you throw us any money on Patreon, thank you very much. Uh, if you're not in the Discord, go ahead and get in the Discord. It's free. So why wouldn't you do it? Free shit is awesome. That's and right. uh, if you could leave a review of the show. Five stars, please, if that's the maximum number of stars that they allow on the platform. Uh, but if it's more, you know, go for more. So uh, <laughs> we're going to follow up right away with King Supers, uh, who just approved a new three-year contract and ended their strike. Yeah, so, I mean, we we talked about this strike just, you know, just a, a couple episodes ago where... These UFCW workers, like over 8,000 of them in Colorado, went on strike. The the first major grocery strike in Colorado in over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of, I got to say, <laughs> there was a lot of good energy coming out of this strike w- while it was on. A lot of very, like, aggressively fuck the company stuff <laughs> coming out of a lot of the posts that I was seeing about it. But, like, before we yeah. get into the, the details on the new contract... I, I wanted to get into one of the things that was kind of, uh, you know, what looked to be pretty shitty and frustrating about the part of the strike, which was that the company was able to get a local judge to grant an injunction against mm-hmm. their pickets, basically claiming that the workers were preventing like customers as well as the, the scabs or people, you know, 
anybody crossing the picket line from coming into the store, which first off, like, okay, cool. That's yeah, good. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, like when I was looking at the articles and it seems like King Supers was also alleging that some of the employees had used racial epithets against potential customers of the store. Yeah, but this was not that. supported by any evidence no. linked to any supporting evidence or corroborated by any other reporting on the strike. So it seems to me that that's just some shit that King Supers made up. Yeah, like the boss cloth. was like, uh, yeah, and I, uh, I also heard they were racist. So write that <laughs> yeah. down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only like cited examples that I saw them file in like their legal brief that seemed like they might be realistic was like I I I I picked this one out because I thought I'm like yeah this one probably happened where they it's cited eighty six seventy three South Quebec Highlands Ranch beginning January twelfth twenty twenty two and each day since picketers have told customers not to go into the store the food is rotten and spoiled the food is not <laughs> spoiled end quote <laughs> that's so funny because that's like one of the mildest things you could do right. to dissuade people from coming in is be like hey the food is spoiled which to be honest if all your employees are out on strike at least a good amount of the produce is probably not good anymore. <laughs> well, and not only that, I mean, like, it is spoiled from consumption because those motherfuckers are not actually helping out the workers. I mean, it's that, that well, you can't be supporting the business. That's spoiled food as good as it comes, you know? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that, it, I think it's more of a rhetorical thing than actually, than actually even a, a material thing. Yeah, it's it's like a Tony Soprano thing. They're like, "Hey, the food is spoiled in there. <laughs> just, you don't even yeah. want it." <laughs> yeah, just, just, that's just, right. Just a lot of winking going on. <laughs> hey, yeah, but that's <laughs> I, not I, like that's not illegal. And then this fucking judge is uh, this this order uh, injunction, whatever, uh, prohibits impeding the entrance or exit of any customer, employee, vendor, or vehicle, picketing in groups larger than 10 people in front of, on, or near King Supers facilities, yeah, that, interfering that with up. threatening or shouting at any person within 20 feet of that person. So you can yell at someone if they're 25 feet away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> following anyone who is leaving King Supers facilities off the premises. So with the exception of that last one, uh, it's basically the order says like you're not allowed to be on strike <laughs> yeah and this i i wanted to highlight this because i feel like we've been seeing this at more and more strikes you know like as mm -hmm. the longer we've been doing the show because there was there have been injunctions like this against warrior met there uh, the the strikers and with the mine workers against the the uaw strikers at john deere against the strikers and against Kellogg. So like this is becoming a really common way for companies to very quickly try and neutralize a strike by limiting severely the number of people that can be on a picket. And I do think in this case, especially like if they hadn't, you know, and I do think there's a decent chance that this may have partially encouraged the, the speedy resolution is that if they hadn't, you know, put in this injunction, it did seem like, there was a pretty successful like results from the the boycott as well as the picketing efforts because I saw a few posts of people who had gone into some of the King Superstores just to see they're like okay well how are these functioning during the strike right. and there was a lot of like empty shelves empty deli counters very few customers in the store like the sort of thing that's like oh yeah this strike really looks like it's having a strong effect and I have to imagine that was one of the like bigger motivators behind. Trying to get this injunction in the first place. 
I mean, I think for most businesses, this is true, but I think especially in the case of a grocery store, like if you show up to shop there and the employees are standing out front and they're like, it sucks in there, don't go in there. I'm likely to take their word for it and go shop somewhere yeah. else. You know, like it seems like an easy choice for most people. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, to your point about a lot of these complaints, aside from, you know, picketers being very funny and mm-hmm. making fun of the store. <laughs> right. Uh, likely not having any basis. In fact, that we there was a quote from the president of UFCW Local 7, Kim Cordova, who said in, in response to the injunction and the allegations from King Supers, I was surprised by that. We haven't had any real incidents on the picket lines where we've had complaints or things like that. It's mostly been about King Super's management harassing our members. That's what we've seen. I was pretty taken aback by it. I'm not I'm yeah. not surprised at all, honestly. Intimidation is part of the management playbook when it comes to any level of of labor unrest. Well, and with the with the wave of like strikes and all of the different labor actions that have been intensifying in the United States, uh especially in the wake of COVID, but just ramping up over the last few years in general, it seems like a lot of corporations are kind of in a situation where they feel like it's necessary to take a big risk and like try a new tactic finally. And uh, a lot of them seem to just be like weird, weird shit like this, where they're like, we'll get a local judge to tell them there can't be more than 10 of them in front of the store. How many workers were on strike again? Wasn't it like a couple thousand? 8,400. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And, and only 10 of them are allowed to show up. Yeah, I mean, at each store, but still, yeah. Uh, and this, I mean, it, oh, it reminded me a little bit, like, of I, there wasn't an injunction involved, but, you know, like, during the Columbia workers' strike, where mm-hmm. you had the, the when they shut down the campus and they were, you know, keeping people from just trying to get people to show solidarity, you had all those fake stories coming out of the Columbia faculty about violence from the the picketers <laughs> against people trying to get into the their classes. And then the only thing we ever found evidence of was people trying to break the picket line, committing violence against the picketers. Right. And, yeah. and I imagine it was probably a similar situation here too. Yeah, this but, is when the, your local news station says, oh, so much for peaceful protesting as cops <laughs> fire on peaceful protesters. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But so not long after the injunction was issued uh, on Monday, this Monday, uh, workers voted to ratify a new three-year contract guaranteeing wage gains for all workers with a minimum of $2 per hour per hour wage increase for every worker and some workers seeing up to a $5 an hour uh, pay increase uh, also getting in- improved health care new safety measures which was something that workers had been been complaining about a lot because they pointed out that one of the you know big issues at King Supers and just broadly across Kroger was just the complete lack of any COVID protection whatsoever for workers Mm -hmm. and as well, new avenues for part-time workers to become full-time. Cause that's one of the other things that we we've seen with these grocery workers in some of the things that contribute to, as we mentioned, when we previously talked about this, the atrocious, you know, pay and benefits and just, living conditions that a lot of these folks have to deal with is that being stuck in the part-time classification when they're really looking for, you know, full-time job that can actually support you actually pay your bills. And so this, I mean, again, I'm, this, this contract doesn't solve all the problems. There are far too many problems at Kroger for, you know, a, a strike this, this relatively short to, to fix those. But I mean, two to $5 an hour wage increases when, 
Kroger was basically telling them that $16 an hour, I believe, which is the minimum wage in Denver now was enough. Like I, that, that's a, that's some pretty big wins, I think. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. And, and we had one more quote in here from Kim Cordova in response to the, the, the ratification of the contract with getting here has been arduous. Full credit goes to the bargaining committee and workers who made their voices heard through negotiating, standing united on the picket line or sharing their stories with the media. This fight was always about them. And now they have their contract they deserve and can be proud of. That's good. It's good. I, I'm glad, honestly, like, uh, I was surprised at how quickly it like all happened, but, uh, I mean, there were, there were pretty decent, uh, concessions so i mean and three-year contract uh is better than a five-year contract uh, yeah. at least at least we Absolutely. didn't see a five-year contract because that would have that would have made me think this was actually not a very good deal but <laughs> yeah yeah, but yeah i mean it's it's all about how much uh pressure the workers were able to put on the company it seems like they mobilized really really effectively and on a large scale and that's really what made all the difference because like you know when the when when kroger or king supers whatever uh got the the judge to to issue that order it's like you can tell they're scrambling if like this is what they've resorted to to trying to be like you can only have 10 people in front of the store (laughs) well and with with like groceries specifically i think that in in this case you, you know you've got the issue on the one hand of the workers already being so crappily paid that being out mm-hmm. on strike is is going to be tough on the other hand a lot of the stuff that those stores are trying to sell is perishable so right. you know the longer that they're able to keep customer base down the longer they're able to keep the stores functioning at maybe you know 20 30% capacity the more product is being lost and having to be thrown away and so even as big as Kroger is that's that sort of wasted product is something that always uh shows up pretty bad on a balance sheet when you're you know reporting to your shareholders and hopefully in three years when we report on this again they'll be on strike again because the idea that their wages even got close to minimum in the first place kind Mm -hmm. of makes me question the previous strength of the union and that this new movement maybe shows a little bit of a change in that trend so good luck to those workers and hopefully we see a lot more fighting in the future yeah Um, absolutely we don't need to see another 25 year gap before another major grocery store strike in Colorado. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, in our second story, which is also a follow-up, we're going to be going back to Activision Blizzard uh, and specifically Raven software workers who actually have filed for official union recognition, uh, which they had requested uh, voluntary, voluntary recognition. And uh, the company basically dragged their feet, and then uh, the union was like, uh, so clearly you're dragging your feet. We're just going to file now. And uh, then the company was like, well, no, we were going to deny it anyway. <laughs> just like, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> so, was- so these... These workers, they work in the quality assurance uh, department at Raven. Mm-hmm. So these are like your game testers and like yeah. uh, the people who are checking the game before it actually makes it onto shelves and stuff, which it's interesting that they're who is unionizing because this is by and large a rather invisible part of the gaming industry to most gaming yeah. consumers. Well, and it's funny because I feel like you'll you'll hear from the same people who will on the one hand complain about how buggy modern games are and how like half baked they are when they come out on the shelves mm-hmm. and will be the same people who will complain about these workers striking or fighting for better wages will be like well these people just get paid to play video games and it's like motherfucker how do you think those shitty bugs 
get found and get removed from the game. <laughs> yeah. Like it is countless hours. And and yeah, I know it sound it doesn't, you know, somebody testing a video game doesn't necessarily have the same sound to it as somebody working on an assembly line. But yeah, if I have like, to spend another fucking minute playing this goddamn Assassin's Creed game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> playing this one specific level, trying to make sure that mm-hmm. this one specific corner stops making a character model act buggy or whatever. Like it can be really grueling and arduous sure. and it faces a lot of the same kinds of labor intensification that you see in industries like Hollywood where people are considered like hey oh you're playing video games oh you get to work on a movie oh you're so lucky exactly. Here, work 19 hours in a row so yeah. mm-hmm. and and so because we've talked about I, I did just to place the context of this specific drive because mm-hmm. we've talked about in the past the ongoing strike and union drive at ABK more broadly, but this is the first component of it where we've actually seen a, a direct NLRB filing. Right. And one of the things that I think is a a bit strange from, to me about the calculations here is one thing that's been cool about these workers, because the, the specifically the Raven software workers have been sort of at the leading edge of this broader ABK union drive that where they're working with the CWA across the whole corporation because of the fact that there were announcements a couple of months ago that a bunch of testers were going to be laid off. And so that prompted the strike even before the union drive had become like official and the strike by these testers by all accounts seem to be pretty goddamn successful because a lot of these folks work on the call of duty Warzone team. Mm-hmm. And recently completely coincidentally i'm sure and having nothing to do with the fact that the whole testing department's been on strike the game has been basically fucked like <laughs> there, there have been reports from players that there is a quote severely degraded experience since the strike began and to the point where the the xbox version has basically been deemed unplayable because most players on xbox have not even really been able to launch the game much less get into an online match <laughs> so you're telling me a, a, a on a system with standardized hardware they can't get it to work that's correct Be- <laughs> so that and then so that's the point that i'm like you know i was going out at the beginning where you have all these people all these people just play video games i'm like well if they don't do that the games don't fucking work so yeah it seems like a pretty important job yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then people have reported bugs and glitches scattered across all platforms from people's skins becoming invisible to like cosmetics popping in and out during matches, frame stuttering, <laughs> random crashes, connection stuff not working. And the like ABK, it got to the point where ABK was actually forced to acknowledge like, yeah, we know it's kind of shitty right now, but don't worry. We're going to fix it. Um, we'll get back to you on how we're going to do that. <laughs> uh, but the thing that is a little puzzling to me is that at the same time that these workers announced that they were unionizing and, and gave ABK basically this five day deadline to voluntarily recognize their union. They also ended the strike. And, and this was, this was explained as an action of an act of good faith, which I don't want to be, I don't want to be overly it's harsh. Naive. No, it's naive. You okay. Can, I mean, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Cause I'm just like, I, you don't ever need to act in good faith with, a, I mean, anyone's employer, much less a, the, a gigantic corporation that has repeatedly shown that it has nothing but contempt for its workforce. 
Yeah, like it's like yeah. having a having a a any uh, like a a debate online with a capitalist. Like they're not going to engage in good faith. You don't have to yourself. Well, and like when you're <laughs> on strike, you hold so many more cards than when you're working. So if you want them to voluntarily recognize the union, stay on strike. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like yeah, yeah. I mean, I look. I I don't want to brag on these folks too much because like we, they are doing the thing. Yeah, they they yeah. I mean, hey, who else in the in major game studios right now has gotten this far in the unionizing process? Basically nobody. So, like all credit to them for getting to where we are now. I just I worry about some loss of leverage from that choice. And we have seen now as you alluded to at the the beginning of the segment, Lena, that very unsurprisingly, ABK that 5-day deadline passed and they did not voluntarily recognize the union. Right. And have basically, it seems like, taken those five days to figure out how they're going to implement their strategy to bust this union drive, which is trying to, again, as we've seen in so many of these union drive cases, fuck with the bargaining unit size Mm -hmm. in order to manipulate the election. So (sighs) there's basically, it seems like what they're trying to do is break up the QA team as a unit because they've in an, in their announcement saying they're not going to voluntarily recognize the union. ABK stated that, it, that they had a desire that quote, all employees at Raven should have a say in this decision end quote. Oh, of and, course. And, and so obviously what they mean by that is they think that the entire studio should be part of the bargaining unit for this election, not just the QA team. And one of the other moves that they went to do that is clearly meant to support that is they announced they would be splitting up the QA team instead of being one concentrated group of testers and moving them into these integrated units as a reorganization where they had said, quote, QA colleagues will embed directly within various teams across the studio, including animation, art, design, audio production, and engineering. They're going to make them sit in different rooms. They're like literally go sit in a different room from all of your direct coworkers so that you don't get to do this union. Yeah. Which this is actually a a violation of status quo. I think. Mm I would think uh, so. Uh, at the very least. But then, I mean, like, sure, If for, for the listeners who maybe are either new or maybe less versed in this stuff, yeah, it would be really nice if the entire studio was part of one big union. That would be very cool. That is not how organizing works. That is not how you, like, build power. You get the recognition with the people that you know that you can organize with. And that is actually w- totally within the possibilities under the NLRA that's allowed. Uh, it's really more so that, like, with this union, then they would have to build up the organizing under other people in the company. Like, right. and, and if they want to build power, they're going to they're taking these specific steps. So n- even if it sounds nice that it would be like, oh, maybe that but they wouldn't win. That's well, the thing I- is you, 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 you fight fights that you can win. And and I'm sure that uh, Raven is trying to hide behind the fact that their parent company is currently in the process of being purchased by Microsoft, mm-hmm. which, to be fair, definitely does like f- completely fuck up your ability to maintain any kind of status quo. But the response to that should be that like while you have striking workers, you cannot <laughs> the company cannot be like change hands during that time. <laughs> Yeah, well, and one of the things that I think has been interesting about all the story, granted, I haven't been following it incredibly closely, but from talking with you know some of the our, our friends who are following this quite closely, 
it really seems like Microsoft has been going out of their way to be like, Union Drive? What Union Drive? Look at this new great company we're buying. It's going to be great. It's great. There's no issues whatsoever. Shareholders, keep bumping that stock price. (laughs) So, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a big deal because like Activision Blizzard is huge. It's a $70 billion deal. So like it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest single acquisitions in game industry history. And, and to your point, like Lena in it, in case, because obviously ABK is, is trying to do this PR spin that they're doing because they just, they just want to hear everyone's voice Uh at Raven. Uh, Uh this, despite like the CWA having said like, during the announcement of the the union drive that ABK has quote used surveillance and intimidation tactics, including hiring notorious union busters to silence workers. But I really appreciated that the, the, the games workers Alliance Twitter account, which is who the Raven, you know, workers are unionizing with responded to that directly where they said, we've been getting some questions about ABK denying to recognize GWA and attempts to unionize the entire studio. If management truly wanted the whole studio unionized, they would have granted voluntary recognition for QA and given CWA neutrality and card check to unionize the rest of the studio. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so, obviously. Yeah. When so you think I about mean, it that way. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on this one, but yeah, definitely seems like ABK is going to, Follow the same path we've seen so many other awful, shitty companies do in, in throwing as many resources as they can at trying to crush this union. Well, uh, I've, I I honestly have confidence that uh, these particular workers will win. Uh, we'll see how much that ends up uh, culminating in more power for ABK workers and maybe better conditions considering the extremely awful thing. What was it? There was like a, a random quote for someone in, from someone. It's like, you know, we're not, uh, we, we actually are just a really tough industry and we're mean to each other and we're, and we're terrible to each other. Uh, end of comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. That's, that's kind of bleak. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, and yeah, but, but just before we switch to the, the next story, one thing that I, I meant to say at the beginning of this was a big part of the reason I think, like, obviously we've seen so many companies do this thing where they try and fuck with the bargaining unit size and have, whichever way they think will give them the best leverage, the best way to screw up the union drive. But I think it's pretty clear in this case why they did that, because when the Raven workers announced they were asking for voluntary recognition, part of the reason they said they were even taking that step instead of just filing right away for the election was that of the testers as a unit, they have a super majority of support. They said they have 78% support Mm -hmm. already from the workers, which is, you know, easily way more than enough. Even if you lose some of those votes still seems like a pretty rock solid amount. That's Mm -hmm. usually the number that you would file with if you expected to win. Yeah. And so I think that definitely shows us how ABK is going to do whatever fucking nasty devious tricks that their union busting lawyers, whichever firm it is that they hired, uh, right, you know, right. tells them to screw with this. So going to have to keep our eyes on this one. Cause you know, ABK, it was already one of the biggest companies in gaming. And now if they're going to become part of Microsoft, they're going to be part of the big three. So if that's successful, that's the, the, the upside here. If they're successful and become a unionized unit in one of these gigantic companies, like that's a huge step forward for mm-hmm. the gaming industry. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm hoping to see it because I would like to have better games because the workers are treated mm-hmm. properly. I mean, yeah, what's that but- classic meme that goes around every once in a while where it's like, I want games that take longer to make that are made by people who work less for more money. And I'm not joking. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Good shit. 
Well, speaking of, uh, we're going to transition from companies that uh, have been trying to fuck with the bargaining unit size to companies that just straight up misclassify their employees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we have LA port truck drivers who are petitioning to unionize because a lot of them, hundreds of them in a workforce of, uh, what is it, like a little over... A few dozen, like a dozen thousand, like 12,000, 15,000. Yeah, it's, there's a, I mean, it's the port of LA. There's a ton of workers. Right. And it's like these truck drivers are classified as independent contractors. So they'll own their own company, like Jim's Trucking or whatever, quote unquote. But really, in every, they're employees on the ground sense of, yeah, a sense of like having a job. They report to XPO Logistics entirely. Like they tell them when to start, they tell them when to stop, they tell them what they're picking up, where it's going, like everything. Yeah. And so this is, as you were saying, this is a unit of 250 drivers who have officially petitioned the NLRB to mm-hmm. rule their classification is bullshit and say that no, they're actually employees of, of exactly what you were saying, XPO, which uh, longer term listeners of the show, that, that name may ring a bell despite them somehow managing, I feel like, to keep a very low profile as a company, despite mm-hmm. being huge. And, and who we're referring to with that, that is XPO Logistics, who are actually like one of the biggest logistics firms in the country. They're, you know, being logistics, they handle shipping, they handle transportation, they handle warehousing, mm-hmm. and they interface with a ton of the biggest companies in the country. We talked about them back in episode 67, because of how notorious they are for being anti-union and for having an atrocious record of treating their employees. Weird how those two things always go together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they employ almost 100,000 people. And across their facilities, they've been routinely criticized and cited for safety concerns, bad COVID-19 responses, profiteering during the pandemic, discrimination, wage theft, and our favorite here on this show, retaliation for union organizing. Right. So it's the list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They've had dozens of unfair labor practices filed against them by the Teamsters over the years. Many of them, including uh, like be resulting in settlements. And one thing that I found in one of the articles I was reading about them is that like their conditions are so shitty that in, in Europe, cause again, they're a global company. Some of their, their drivers have been forced to live out of their trucks for months on end just to meet the schedules that they're forced to. And yet again, this company is telling everyone that, Oh no, 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 those are independent contractors. Those right. aren't our employees. <laughs> but then you have quotes from these like quote unquote, independent contractors like Domingo Avalos, who says XPO has 100% control over our work. XPO tells us what time we start, where we go. We have to check in with them hourly. When I arrive, I don't say I'm here to pick up or drop off a load from Domingo's trucking. And that's like insane. Like at that point, you you are so close to just being a straight up uniformed employee that any country with a reasonable legal system would be like, okay, that's an employee. You have to give them full employee benefits. What does XBO Logistics do? They tell their independent contractors, quote unquote, that there are available employee positions that they can apply for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Insane. It really does seem like the the difference is the uniform. It, it really feels mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. so you're able to put your name on your shirt. Uh, and so therefore you know, we can just exploit you. Yeah. And, and one thing that I wanted to bring up with this story that I didn't put in the notes because I, it actually came up in the book that I've been, I've been reading this, um, us labor in trouble and transition by Kim Moody, who's a really good labor historian. And this book was written back in 2006 
And so, you know, this is 16 years ago, and he talks about the issues going on with the truck drivers at the port of Los Angeles mm-hmm. in there because it was already, it had already been a problem for a long time there. And one of the elements that he points out in there that I, I didn't, you know, see really noted in the, the stories I saw about this is that this misclassification and the way that these drivers are treated is actually has a very strong racialized element because mm. after the trucking industry was deregulated and so many of these formerly union jobs were, were shifted over to this bullshit independent contractor model. A huge percentage of the truck drivers at the port of LA are, you know, mostly uh, Hispanic folks and a lot of immigrants. And so that has been one of the big contributors to these companies feeling like they have basically carte blanche to just treat these workers as shittily as possible, pay them basically nothing. And, and yeah, like force them to go through all these abuses. Like there was a, a, a class action lawsuit. They've actually had to settle two class action lawsuits recently to the, the, the score of $30 million on behalf of misclassified drivers in LA and Long Beach for failing to pay them the minimum wage. Like Jesus they can't even Christ. hit that bar. And, well, and then they have the gall to defend their company by saying yeah. things like, as is common in disputes over employment versus independent contractor status, it is those who failed to succeed who complain the loudest. Which one, wow. you don't have to say failed to succeed. Failing already means failing to succeed. Two, it doesn't mean anything. You are saying like the people we pushed down into the mud are angry with us. Of course they are. <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? This is also this like a continuation of the neoliberal narrative of of personal responsibility and the individualization of of all workers to be like, oh well, you know, if you're sick or you're poor, that's because of your personal failings. In in certain ways, it actually, if you listen to the death panel, goes back to a lot of uh, eugenic reasonings for poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like you see this all the time in workplaces. Like they'll put something up on the wall, and they're like, "Is your attitude ready for work today?" And you're like, "My attitude? <laughs> I don't have health insurance." <laughs> you know? Yo, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this sign is about <laughs> is, is, is increasing my quote unquote attitude, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, this is a, an interesting tactic, I will say, because we've seen plenty of folks push the legislative model to try and get like new laws from mm-hmm. like the state legislature or city council, which whichever is the, you know, best case they find to, to get the law changed to say that, Oh no, you are not an independent contractor. But I don't think that I've seen a lot of these cases where they've gone just straight to the NLRB and said, look, come on, we are clearly not <laughs> independent contractors. And I, one of the things that I really appreciated about reading this was that the teamsters who are, you know, helping, the, the workers in this fight and obviously have some skin in the game because they have, you know, lost the major- so many of their members for after deregulation and years and years of corrupt business unionism that wasn't really fighting for their workers as hard as they very much could be. Um, but hopefully we're going to see a change in that now with the new reform slate. And, and they had a quote in here from their international vice president, Ron Herrera, who directs their port division, quote, we're creating a model, a pilot for other drivers across the country to see and be inspired to unionize with the Teamsters. If there's ever a time right now is the most beneficial time to do it. Yeah, I hope so. I, and, I, and I have confidence that it very possibly could. 
with the with the reforms that are coming through and the ways that that it's going to empower workers on like the shop floor level to actually have control over their work conditions i i i have confidence that that's true yeah and i mean how many times have we talked on the show before about even during good times mm-hmm. whatever those were i don't know that i remember them like the the whole lean manufacturing just in time logistics system requires like truckers to be on their routes and then and and so that convert like at the same time gives those truckers an enormous amount of potential power and so now during all these you know supply chain issues it's it's good to actually see you know the trucker union mm-hmm. <laughs> a- acknowledge that and be like hey we should really be redoubling our efforts right now in organizing unorganized truckers because like when are they going to have more power and more leverage than right now. And this is a really good, I think, step in the right direction if it's successful. Absolutely. Well, on the idea of exploitation, we can move to one of the (laughs) most exploitative businesses in the United States, which doesn't only exploit its workers, but it also exploits the consumers in the communities that they provide quote-unquote goods in. Uh, And that is Family Dollar, the the lowest quality of everything uh, that you could possibly find. Well, I mean, like the crux of the issue here is that like Family Dollar has used the you don't have to pay managers overtime model Mm -hmm. as the way to like generate the most exploitation, which is kind of a novel way to do it. You don't see a lot of businesses in the United States doing this, but they're like, okay, you know, we're going to set you up. So you're a manager of the store. And if you work your scheduled 52 hours a week, you would be making approximately $15 an hour. And then they force you to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to the point where you're sleeping in the store uh, and you're forced to stay there overnight if the weather is too bad to drive home because you've opened and closed the store. Yeah. Right. I actually had a friend who worked, I don't know if it was particularly at one of these ones, but another like but, uh, of the dollar store chains. And uh, as a manager, it was very bad. It is the, it is straight up in eight. Yeah. It was an 80 hour. Mm-hmm. It was an 80 hour job. Like yeah. no doubt. I think this story also highlights something like one of the nuances that we always have to look at with the way jobs are classified in the U S because like a manager at family dollar is in a very different position than a manager maybe at like a law firm (laughs) or, or even sometimes, you know, other sorts of stores because you have different these aren't people that are, you know, getting a bonus based on how well the company does. Like yeah, they, they, they don't have a chance to move up to being some kind of vice president right. or something. Also, also, I mean, as a general manager, my friend didn't even have hiring and firing power. And, and so that's the thing. So, like, on the one hand, like, yes, these managers did have the ability to distribute hours amongst their staff. But I don't, yeah, I don't think they had hiring and firing power. And the other thing is that they're specifically given insufficient hours for the regular hourly employees to actually keep the store open all of its normal hours, forcing the managers who are salary exempt employees and therefore not paid overtime. Right as you were saying, to make up the slack and shoulder that themselves. Essentially, they are basing their entire model, not just on the regular level of exploitation and surplus value extraction that every capitalist enterprise is based on, but again on, we're going to set this up so that we guarantee 
that our managers are forced to provide us all this extra unpaid labor. And we justify that by saying, oh, they're paid, you know, like I think the average they had in in, in the story was like $42,000 a year. So again, for somebody working minimum 60 hour weeks. Right. So this is not, you know, your, your middle-class petty bourgeoisie, like manager who's out there with like a boat and three cars. These people are workers. No, I I mean, in many of the stories and there are plenty of horror stories from this that we will go over. Most of the people or or a a great number of them are single mothers are people who are just trying to provide for a family and who have been put into a very, very difficult economic situation where this seems like their only opportunity to make $42,000. Uh, even though it's essentially at the rate of less than minimum wage in many places. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned the stories that we saw of, of workers being, of these workers being forced to sleep in the store. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear stuff from people about having to miss holidays constantly about not being given any time off from their district manager. There was one story in particular that stood out to me. And so I'd like put the whole thing here in the notes because I thought, I mean, it seemed exemplary of just the horrific shit these folks went through. So this is a story where, and this is all coming out of an investigative report, by the way, from Business Insider. So that's where this is all coming out of where Trisha Giles, who's a former manager at a store in Georgia, said that she was injured due to overwork at her time as a manager there. She said she was climbing up a ladder to get something for a customer when she fell. Her hair got stuck in a shelf on the way down she couldn't move. And when she tried to get up, her knee snapped and another employee at the store called an ambulance and her husband, the ambulance drove her to a hospital and she was told she would need surgery and that two discs in her neck were messed up. And while she was still in the hospital, the district manager called her husband ranting and raving about the fact that the store was closed and never once bothered to, you know, ask if she was okay, you know, how she was doing. And, and, and she said, quote, they don't care if you're dead, you're supposed to come in there, not breathing and work. They don't care. They will make your life a living nightmare. There is no family at family dollar. Yeah. I mean, in some of the stories, you had these managers getting hired and their regional or district managers would tell them like, hey, it's expected that you work at least 65 hours a week, even though that's not actually outlined anywhere in the company, you know, Mm -hmm. materials provided to employees. Uh, And multiple of these people who had children were saying in the interviews that their families, you know, their own parents basically had to raise their kids because Uh they were away from their home for 60, 70, 80 hours a week, which is an unreasonable amount of time. If you have even let's say a pet at home that needs taking care of much less a real family so if some of this sounds like it might be illegal you're right but unfortunately this is america and you know that does that's never stopped anybody so in 2007 and 2008 they were like family dollar was forced to settle a couple very large class action lawsuits one of 35 million dollars from managers alleging they were underpaid as we've heard here and 45 million dollars in a suit to settle a gender discrimination case but family dollar came up with a new trick that we've seen a lot of companies use after those cases which is they now require their employees to sign away the right to sue the company in their hiring agreements Go making everyone go through our favorite forced arbitration. It's like shocking that that's not illegal. Like, I know this is like a terribly fascist country and everything, but that should just straight up be illegal. 
Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a it's it's basically a we are ex- it's we are exempt from laws, right? Uh, clause that they people put in there, and and the only reason we even heard about a lot of these, like the only reason that Business Insider found out about all of these complaints, was that a law firm got together two thousand arbitration complaints from former managers at Family Dollars who on their own would not have had the resources and it, it, it it certainly wouldn't have been really worth it for them to actually try and go through the arbitration process directly. But by bringing 2000 of them together, they were able to, it's almost like a class action arbitration, which isn't, I guess, technically a thing, but like the, the problem though, is that it's still arbitration and it's still not a lawsuit. So there's still no jury that's, it's still a, you know, quote, neutral third party, which resulted in, even though you have, again, 2,000 of these complaints and, and, and with so many of these stories where you have people, again, like working 80 hours a week every week, even though it, that's not what their contract says they have to do, most of the people who got settlements from this got $1,000 or less. Hardly even worth showing up to court for some of these yeah. people. Or yeah. Arbitration, whatever. Yeah. And like, I mean, one person I remember in there mentioned they got... $500 and it wasn't because they were underpaid. It was because, oh, well, yeah, they did force you to work through your lunch break a lot. And, and so here's $500 for, for every lunch break, right? For every lunch break. Per, yeah. Per break. That's <laughs> what it should be. That's yeah. what it fucking should be. Yeah. But. Well, if there are people out there who are in conditions like this and you have any level of power, because I, I hear a lot of these places are not highly monitored, you only have to leave one door unlocked and only <laughs> half the lights on uh, and maybe less people will come in. Not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing. It's like we have heard so many scummy stories like just when i'm like you know going through stories for what i'm gonna put like in the notes and stuff and you know when we've talked about stuff like the dollar stores in general and family dollar in particular i feel like come up all the time like both like these companies all they're they're so anti-union when there have been a bunch of stories where i was getting ready to you know put a story together oh we're gonna talk about this dollar store that's unionizing maybe this will be the tip of the spear and then there's like ah fuck it and they close the store they yeah because these are they're disposable just like their products just like their customers just like their employees they are literally just a company based on the disposability of all things yeah no absolutely it's yeah it's it's extracting like labor via the, via these loopholes that allow you to get people to work for free for you it's 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 really it's exemplar of this the hollowing out of the u.s economy by neoliberalism it's mm-hmm. it's extremely fucked so yeah speaking of extremely fucked yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> our next story yeah, <laughs> or our next stories. story, which I'd been, I mean, I'd had this on the docket for a little while because it, it's technically a story from back in December, but there's been a lot going on. And so, uh, but I finally wanted to squeeze it in here. And this is just one of the most egregious or at least widespread uh, cases of wage theft that I've seen a story about in a while. And this is specifically about garment workers in Karnataka, India. Over 400,000 of them who have not been paid legally mandated cost of living increases to the minimum wage for almost two years, basically since the pandemic started. Um, and, and this was all exposed out of a report from the Workers' Rights Consortium at the beginning of December, where they estimated that over $55 million has just been straight stolen from the workers. So again, like not, 
not just your classic surplus value theft, which again happens at every capitalist business, but even by like the labor laws in this area, they're just like stealing 55 million in wages from these, these workers. Right. And where this comes out of is that the minimum wage in India, basically about a month into the pandemic was raised by, and they, I guess they have it as a, like a monthly cost of living setup where it was raised by $5 and 50 cents a month. So not a lot, but you know, that when you're working at the, you know, the absolute margin, like so many of these garment workers are like, that's a much needed amount of money. And that yet that small amount of money, which like for these workers was still immediately challenged in court by all these, these garment factory companies, which is one of the, I guess like the biggest employers, biggest industries in Karnataka is, is the garment industry. And so because they challenged it in court, the companies keep doing this thing. We're like, Oh no, 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 we don't have to pay that. Cause it's all tied up in the legal system. Nope. We're ex- We, we got to let the legal process play out. Even though, Last September, the Karnataka High Court was like, no, 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 this was legal. Just your challenges is thrown out. Fuck you. <laughs> like you have to pay them and you have to pay the workers like their back pay. But they keep just saying, no, it's still under consideration, which I don't, I mean, I don't understand. I guess it's, you know, just corporate corruption, control of the political process. Yeah, uh, I, inf- I, I don't know enough about the specific like politics in the city, that, that particular state in India, but it's kind of baffling to see the court be like, fuck you, you, you have to pay this and then just be like, nah, it, it might have something to do with the fact that these companies, uh, that are producing these goods, produce them for Puma, Nike, Gap, yeah. Zara, H and M, like some of the biggest fashion, uh, companies in the world. And they probably have enough money and influence in the area to make it so that there aren't really any consequences yeah, for, sure. for those actions. Um, and this is, this is one of those stories that I feel like whenever we talk about basically U.S. corporate giant malfeasance overseas, we hear the same sorts of bullshit, you know, smoke screens from their PR companies where, you know, of course, all those companies that you listed, they say, no, no, we demand all of our suppliers pay minimum wage. But the workers are like, no, we we aren't. You know what's really funny about that line? It's like, we demand that all of our uh, workers are paid minimum wage. I think that they actually mean that. I think that they, 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 they mean like, you know, all of them, just the minimum wage, regardless. Well, I mean, like, and these companies never never miss a beat trying to, like, do their weird little corporate spin on it. The one from Nike stood out to me the most, where they say, Nike expects all suppliers to comply with local legal, local legal requirements and the Nike Code of Conduct. That's how you know they're not serious about it is because they felt like throwing the fucking Nike code of conduct in there. Yeah. And like, so a lot of this comes out of the whole fast fashion trend, which has been so incredibly shitty and awful, like both for the environment and for workers. Oh, and it looks like dog shit too. Don't forget that. (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. Um, But that these companies have been making an absolute killing on this sort of exploitation where I think honestly, when, you know, when you were saying that when they say pay the minimum wage, they mean it. I'm like, yeah, they just don't mean it in the legal sense. They mean pay the minimum wage you can get away with. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> and, and so like Inditex, which is the parent company of Zara reported a net profit of nearly $3 billion in just the first nine months of last year, which is up almost 300% over the same period the year prior, like wow. CNA, 
recorded a, a net income increase of $340 million in the last two quarters of 2021. These people are making money hand over fist by not paying an extra $5.50 a month to the workers actually making their clothing. Yeah. And um, like the the actual repercussions of this industry, as you mentioned, like even like based on climate, like, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't like even make it to people. Uh, yeah. Many of it, much of it ends up in landfills with tags on it of unsold merchandise. Like, yeah, but, you know, capitalism is efficient <laughs> or, or so they keep telling us. Right. But and I think to get it, like why this is so, like, I think. You know, obviously, there's the understandable reasons why it's it's important, but like on a personal level, they, there was a story in this Guardian article from one of the workers at one of these places who's been, you know, trying to they've been trying to work with their their coworkers to protest this, who said that she and again, this is another factor where this is incredibly gendered work. The vast, I think, nearly all, if not all, of these workers are women where she earned about half of what she needed just to pay for food, rent, and other basic living costs. She said, quote, throughout this year, I've only fed my family rice and chutney sauce. I tried to talk to the factory management about it, but they said, this is what we pay to work here. If you don't like it, you can leave. Ooh, classic capitalists. You know, yeah. you're, you're free to go die in the street. Yeah, like... <sighs> This is, I know I've said this before on other stories, but I feel like there's a perception or, or partially from the way that, you know, we're indoctrinated in our school that like, even if folks will acknowledge how bad capitalism was when, you know, Marx and Engels were writing, when you saw stuff like, uh, like Engels, the conditions of the working class in England, they were like, well, that was, that was old capitalism, new right. capitalism. Look at everyone has refrigerators. And it's like, well, no, they don't. And, and, and it's like, cause it hasn't gotten better. It's just that they've been able to push, a, they've been able to use their media apparatus to push so much of the exploitation out of sight because like the whole idea with the wage floor under basically functioning capitalism is that it provides the bare minimum for workers to reproduce themselves and nothing more. And this is not even that for these yeah. people. Like, and and so that's this is the like as you were saying like these are major firms this is the backbone of how this whole industry operates like it's completely fucked mm -hmm. yeah but well yeah i guess uh, do we have a conclusion on that <laughs> we just i mean it's like so gonna it, end on the on the yeah and everything's fucked well <laughs> i mean i guess my conclusion on this story is that the entire fast fashion industry is structurally based on because their whole thing is we're gonna make new clothing designs every five seconds we're gonna somehow be able to sell them to you for relatively cheaply and that is a thing that makes sense and can totally happen in you know the 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 marketplace with everybody being paid okay and it's like no it's it's foundationally based on hyper exploitation of these workers and the the prices are artificially low and yet they are still making such a huge percentage of that in pure profit so uh i guess my conclusion is fuck those companies yeah. and uh and don't buy fast fashion stuff because it's just it's i mean all all you know capitalist profit is based on exploitation but this stuff is ridiculous yeah i mean yeah. like regular apparel regular fashion is also very bad but fast fashion is just like the the modern like silicon valley brain intensification of everything and it's so incredibly <laughs> disgusting uh yeah. you know if, if you can just just um stitch together burlap sacks into <laughs> pant legs at this point it's all you can do uh right <laughs> 
And uh, but don't but don't bring a bag into the changing room and don't try to get the items miscounted by the person, you know, checking all this stuff. Like, don't <laughs> mm-hmm. don't, you know, put a shirt on underneath the shirt that you brought in so that they can't see it. Don't don't do the <laughs> sorts of things that make it it's because it's incredibly illegal. And, and you definitely don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and and like you sure you could. Like, if you had, like, a really big bag, there would probably be not even a notice if, like, some underground garments just like, oh, oh, geez, I guess they were in the bottom of the bag. Like, but make sure to pay for those. Make sure to make sure to pay for ev- all, all that stuff. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't have, like, a, a any sort of, like, happy positive spin on that article, which is why I didn't put it as the last article that's right <laughs> in this episode yeah. uh, because we do have a story that's pretty cool to finish off our, our roundup this week of a general strike of sorts going on in Seattle right now that is really not getting a lot of coverage. Um, most of this I, I saw from an article from Kim Kelly in uh, the nation where basically Workers for the Teamsters have shut down the construction industry in Seattle, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So these are mostly workers who work with concrete, right? Yeah. And uh, it turns out that if the concrete guys don't show up and mix and pour and drive and test the concrete, pretty soon you run out of work for all of your other tradespeople to do. <laughs> yeah. Everything gets built on top of that concrete. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I love that the the Teamsters are actually calling it a general strike too. Mm-hmm. Not in the like we're going to sign up to a Facebook event and we're all going to not go to work except only like 7 of us are going to do that like we often hear general strike get talked about. But an, mm-hmm. an actual in practice run where they said we're calling this a general strike because it's not limited to one sector of workers, but many from concrete pourers, drivers, mixers, safety and quality control, and more, covering the entire concrete industry. And this is from Jamie Fleming, Director of Communications and Research at Teamsters Local 174, who continued, The workers on strike are from multiple different companies, covered under different contracts, but they're all fighting together towards the same goal of being treated and compensated fairly. Hell yeah. I it's It really just rocks, honestly. Like... <laughs> It, I know that when people think of general strike, they think of like the the farmer strike and hundreds of thousands of people. But this is actually like really a, a form of a general strike to get everyone in a particular industry, especially uh, a kind of a a bottleneck point. Well, and 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 this action expanded really really rapidly, right? Like it yeah. started with a few dozen drivers, and then pretty soon it was over three hundred teamsters yeah. from uh, local 174 that's really interesting how like you know a shop could maybe say hey we're going on strike and then a bunch of other people would be like yeah we're gonna go on strike in solidarity and suddenly you have something that you can call a general yeah. strike which is going to be effective at getting demands out of an industry that's exploiting all these people it, have we it, ever seen this before folks <laughs> yeah there's a really interesting time it happened in cuba uh <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean, I was going to say it's, this is one of those things that the, the, the only slightly downer part to this is that I'm like, I hate that this is such a rare event that this right. is like, comes across as so special. Cause I'm like, this is that we should be, this is how every fucking industry should be bargaining. I mean, when we had used to have pattern agreements, master agreements, even when they were under shitty business unionism, you still had that, you know, industry wide, or at least right. like large sectors of the industry wide ability to shut stuff down. But 
you know, that's gone out the window so much lately. So unfortunately, this is extremely refreshing to see. But it is dope because like as as you were saying, like this includes not just, you know, cement mixer drivers, but concrete plant workers, mechanics, lab workers, terminal attendants, quality control workers, and mm-hmm. yard workers in the concrete and sand industries. And this is across a bunch of companies. It started with drivers at Gary Merlino Construction, but it's got Stoneway Concrete, Cadman, Cal Portland Glacier, Salmon Bay Sand and Gravel, and Lehigh Cement, who all of whom bargain you know, more or less in a block with the Teamsters and have been accused by the Teamsters of refusing to bargain in good faith. Right. (laughs) So the Teamsters have been able to kind of opportunize on the fact that they, all of these contracts come up simultaneously and then use that as like a a dry run for more potential like industry-wide style organizing in the future. Interesting. Building power. Huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's one of those things like this is how shit like like this used to be standard. Right. And in the 80s, that got broken up. And so it's it's nice to see, you know, this sort of thing coming back because and they and when the teamsters say that these these companies weren't bargaining in good faith, they're not just saying that in, in like the standard way that capitalist companies don't don't bargain in good faith right. ever. Like the these contracts that these places had expired at the end of last July, and for nearly six months, the companies have just completely refused to bargain, thinking that they're gonna be able to, you know, break the unity of this Teamsters local and try and get, you know break up the whole joint pattern that these folks have been bargaining under. And like one of the things that was so petty in this, it was like so frustrating to me is they mentioned that one of the the sticking points in their bargaining has been a change to their contract in order to save retired members a whole bunch on their healthcare premiums, which is important for these, you know, concrete workers because that's a tough job. And so a lot of these workers, probably the majority, come out of that that work when they retire. Uh, you know, they're union, so they've got healthcare benefits, they got pension, they got that stuff, but their mm-hmm. their bodies are pretty worn down. And specifically, a lot of folks in this industry in the past have ended up with silicosis, which is a lung disease. And that, you know, this sort of stuff, like these folks are ending up, unfortunately, having, needing a lot of health care. Right. Yeah. And they had proposed a solution that would have saved these retirees about $6,000 a year in their health care premiums. And most of the cost was going to be borne by like a slight increase of the, like the, like what's taken out of the work, current worker's paycheck. So it wasn't even really going to come out for the most part out of the companies. And still, the company's completely balked. Like, we're not paying a penny towards that. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, that's... I'm glad that these people are fighting, you know, like, because these are, these are people who are going to end up needing that concrete lung treatment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that I hope that modern safety regulations by OSHA and the requirement to wear proper respiratory protection would make sure that that stuff doesn't happen anymore, but boy, I'm sure that's not true. Yeah. Um... Well, and it's it's all painted uh, with a really nice brush when you have uh, 
Secretary Treasurer Rick Hicks from Teamsters Local 174, who said the arrogance from the employers in this case is absolutely astounding and cannot be allowed to continue unchecked. Because of Charlie Olivers from Gary Merlino Construction, inexperience at negotiating and Don Merlino's refusal to answer the phone, we have 330 people on strike. 330 families wondering if they're going to lose their health care coverage and thousands more workers on layoff and collecting unemployment benefits from the state. We have major construction projects halted, affordable housing projects losing money they cannot afford to lose, and laid off families growing more desperate by the day. Which yeah, is like, these fucking business owners need to get off their asses and come and support these workers so that these important projects can happen, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and well, the thing is, is like, the they've been putting out periodic updates on basically like teamsters.org, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teamster.org, they're the Teamsters website. And I really appreciate their messaging on this because they've been going pretty hard at these companies. They're like, yeah, no, we came to the table with pretty low expectations and they still managed to exceed how shitty we thought they would be. Like, these guys fucking suck and they refuse to negotiate. And because of them, the construction industry in the greater Seattle area is shut down. And we're really wondering, like, you know, when are these greedy company assholes gonna let us start these projects back up i'm paraphrasing but that's basically the the vibe that they've been putting out there i'm like more of this please yeah <laughs> from our from our major unions yeah it's almost like when you uh have a union election and you elect like a more militant reform slate like shit starts happening <laughs> afterwards like your your union members feel emboldened to uh go on strike and to to take action against their employers well, and to take control of their workplaces, because right. that yeah. is the point. The point mm-hmm. of that is, is that the workers deserve control over their day-to-day working conditions. That's one of the reasons why, as I've been going over the reasons why we always call for rank-and-file uh, mm-hmm. organizing, and that is one of the reasons, and this is a great example of how that sort of organizing can build power. Yeah, and and I just think, like, to to you know, draw some lessons from this. It's like the idea that, you know, the, the pattern bargaining, the coordinated bargaining, the more solidaristic bargaining that we saw in earlier eras in this country is like gone forever and impossible. That's not true. It's like, if you actually have, as you were saying, with that rank and file approach with a more energized, more militant union, where you actually have the different shops working together and telling the bosses to go fuck themselves, <laughs> you can actually keep doing that sort of organizing that demonstrates real power and can, again, shut down the entire construction industry in Seattle because of the intransigence of these companies. And so I think this is a really inspiring struggle, and that's probably why we haven't seen a lot of stories about it in the press. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh... You know, uh, let's, uh, I wish I, I almost had a transition. I was like, so, so, so let's put some stories in the press. How about we put some memes in the press? There you go. That's right. <laughs> now we got to get to your weekly funnies, everybody. That's right. <laughs> Finally, the page of the newspapers I was always bothering my dad for. <laughs> Here's the sports section, old man. Let me see Garfield. <laughs> 
What's with this Doonesbury comic? It's very weird and not funny. I I'm don't gonna, get it. I, I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be honest. Everybody loves to talk shit on Doonesbury. I loved Doonesbury when I was a kid. I don't know if it's just because like I was raised on Bloom County alongside Calvin and Hobbes, so like 1980s political comedy felt really relevant to me because <laughs> I had read a lot of it. <laughs> oh, I just never understood it. I was like, these other ones have a cat. And like yeah. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> At yeah. least with Judy, there's usually a punchline. <laughs> like this Dudesbury yeah. stuff. Half the panels, he's just saying dot dot dot. <laughs> well, our first meme of the, of this week is a guy sitting there across the table from presumably a manager or boss, uh, having a conversation. You know, standard standard stuff. They're both in suits. Guy kind of cringe smiling a little bit uh but the the text on this one is me i'm gonna need the rest of the day off the boss asks why and me i hate being here (laughs) (laughs) cringe smile (laughs) oh damn i was accidentally honest with my boss (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like this one it's 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 nice I, i i saw it a bunch of times pop up and i was just like Wow, I'm 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 not getting tired of this one. <laughs> it it just reminds me a lot of that other one that we've talked about before and that I see going around all the time where it's it's the interview meme. It's a very similar setup where like, "Oh, so uh what what attracted you to our company? Why do you want to work here?" And you're just like, "Uh cuz I need to eat." Yeah. <laughs> Money is exchanged for goods and services. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so in a similar vein, we've got our second meme here. Where we've got we've got a Doge that is 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 clearly the boss in this situation. They've got some some glasses and a little tie, and then we've got a Cheems, who and they're in a little office setting, and, and the Cheems comes in. Are you the CEO of Thirty Minute Lunch Breaks? And the Doge <laughs> replies, "Why, yes, I am." And then suddenly the Cheems just bonks the Doge right on the head because Thirty Minute Lunch Breaks, folks. That shit sucks. No. <laughs> Lunch break should be an hour paid minimum. Mm-hmm. It should you should be able to earn overtime while you eat a sandwich. That's right. And it should take an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I know that's one of the things that I feel like when you always it's one of those like feelings of like extreme envy. I think sometimes whenever I see those threads of like union members or like teamsters talking about like just telling people to fuck off because they're on their break. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just like, yeah, I'll move that box in a minute there, but I'm on my uh, mandated 35 minute lunch break. Oh, yeah. So bad is right after the 25 minute one they were going to give me. Well, so it's really an hour. And then everybody's <laughs> like, Oh, but that's so inconsiderate. It brings everything to a grinding halt. And you're like, how is that inconsiderate? All the other workers are so happy. Everything has been brought to a grinding halt. Cause now <laughs> yeah. they're getting paid to sit on their asses too. Lovely. Couldn't be nicer. Like- also <laughs> lunch is, not just eating like you 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 have to relax like the part of the point of time off is to recuperate and right. i mean even if it is in the middle of your shift i mean that's necessary and earned like the, the idea that like oh you finished eating better get back to work that's bullshit well and, and also mm-hmm. like the 30 minute lunch break thing is also a way to dissuade employees from leaving like Mm-hmm. campus whatever they want to call it yeah. you know comforting property to go get lunch because if it takes you 15 minutes to drive to the taco bell instead you're just going to go eat in whatever little cafeteria or canteen or vending machine the company provides for you and then they're extracting even more value out of you during yeah. your breaks well and i guess on the 
uh, idea of extracting more value from you, where our next one is about uh, all the, you know, the COVID tests that we suggested everybody pick up. Very good stuff. We did find out that uh, apparently most of them are labeled go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw this one going around everywhere like last week after the, the announcement of the free tests where they're just like, hey, I just got my own testing kit from the government. And yeah, it's got you've got you've got your negative line and then you've got your positive. Oh, wait, what? It's not a regular positive line. It wait, it just says go to work. Oh, damn. The CDC guidelines have changed again. <laughs> Man, I don't understand. I know it's like the way the chemical reagent test or whatever they're using for these tests because it's also the same with pregnancy tests where it's like one line two lines is how everything is read out and it's like i know you're trying to produce these cheaply but maybe make one that just says yes or no positive (laughs) negative you know one line two line is not clear this is not a system we use for anything else in the world (laughs) especially since like it can still be positive if it's an incredibly faint sure. line mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the worst aspects of that whole thing. Yeah. And, I mean, also a problem on pregnancy tests, which is another one of those things that you don't want to be, like, kind of iffy on. <laughs> like, yeah, you want a yeah. definitive answer. Both, it's like, it, it, am I pregnant or do I have this potentially deadly, life-threatening disease? Right. Hey, look, I'm 75% sure about it. Good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and then as we like to do, we bring in our our uh, weekly teenage stepdad meme. Uh, this yeah. one is a Castlevania cover. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I was uh, never yeah. big into Castlevania, but they always had the best fucking art game art. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Got this He Man looking guy with a whip on the front. We have Jeff Bezos as a vampire. Why? Oh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. So oh, the the tower. Go ahead. I just realized the tower up on top of yeah. the mountain isn't a castle. It's it's an illustration of uh, feudal Hierarchy? society. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's 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 oh. the capitalist society. That's from like the old. I think it's an IWW. Oh, really? cartoon or painting because yeah it's i only also only just noticed that too where yeah instead of dracula's castle you've got like the pyramid of you know where you've got money at the top and then you've got the like ruling class nobility below it then the clerk oh i guess maybe it is the few yeah i think you're right well it I, it's early capitalism was yeah. much more directly arranged like feudalism than it is yeah. now now we have this like weird somewhat decentralized aristocracy <laughs> yeah, because then you have the the clergy, then you have below them, you have the soldiers, mm-hmm. and and then, although I probably would have switched these two, and then you have, like, just the general rich, and below them all, holding the whole thing up is the, you know, the broader working class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, the text on this one is, capitalism is a fetch quest. Spend your life performing a series of unfulfilling tasks to maybe survive. <laughs> yeah key there on maybe yeah maybe doing a lot of heavy lifting on that and i do also love the little teenage stepdad seal of quality in the bottom right hand corner really yeah, great absolutely. really great uh spin on something that i'm used to seeing on a mario kart super mario kart that's cartridge, right so. um and so our last one for this week is is, is another bezos targeting meme because you know why not this guy is uh you know personally ruining the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in this country and he's also so a really he, he's the he's the quickest shorthand for modern capitalism since the monopoly man yeah him and him and elon musk he it, really looks like 
yeah, I mean, if he only had a monocle and a top hat, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> he keeps wearing weird shit, and then people post his photo <laughs> online, and I have to look at him. Stop giving him ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and and so this last one, I just, this, this one's pretty simple. There's not much of a hidden meaning to this one. Not a whole lot of... This is one of those, I know writers that use subtext. They're all cowards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where... This one's set up like uh, one of those like late 70s, mid 80s uh, kung fu movie posters where you've got like, you know, your your big guy with his, his, his cut off T-shirt. And it's just he was only one man who destroyed capitalism. <laughs> the man who kung fu kicked Jeff Bezos in the fucking dick. That's right. <laughs> we uh, we don't condone violence towards anyone. No. Uh, we just would really like to point out that no matter how cool this poster is or how cool what they are describing sounds like, we don't encourage violence. Yeah, if, if my NSA agent is listening, I would never <laughs> incite someone to violence. If there's violence I think needs done, I'll do it myself. <laughs> if they, if they wanted, but if somebody wanted to make this into a movie That's right. filled with all sorts of fake violence... I think it would be a cool movie that lots of people would watch. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, uh, but uh, for now, we're going to have to see you in our next episode. Uh, If you would like to become a patron, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. That sort of thing helps us get this project project going and done. Uh, You can jump in the Discord. You can give us a review anywhere that seems appropriate. Uh, Like I said, you know, write negative star reviews for for H&M and all of those fucking terrible businesses and tell them to listen to to Work Stoppage. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at WorkStoppage pod and as always labor peace is not in our interest solidarity forever solidarity out there solidarity everybody maybe i can help you, maybe I can help you.